And we are back. Welcome back to the Pacific Rim Pro Wrestling Podcast. The podcast that goes from Seattle to Tokyo and all points throughout history along the Pacific Rim. That's why it is the Pacific Rim Pro Wrestling Podcast. My name is Jim Valley, longtime wrestling fan and uh, longtime, I guess, historian. I do some podcasts, some other audio you may or may not have heard. But uh, I've been watching for a long time, and we head across to Tokyo, Japan, to one of the preeminent reporters, journalists, historians. He's been doing this for 35 years, if not longer. Fumi Saito. Hey, Fumi. Hello. How are you, sir? Good. Hey, I'm doing great. You know, we... We've uh, the show's been growing, which is fabulous. But a lot of times, people oh, use it, and they're like, "Hey, now who are you guys again?" And I know you from. So well, why, <laughs> why don't you run down your your history just a little bit, so people know exactly just how significant you are. I know you don't like to talk about it, but we should probably give them a little bit of background. Okay, my name's Fumi Fumi Saito. I'm from Tokyo, Japan. I'm a wrestling reporter and journalist, and also historian. I've been doing this since 1981. I've started this wrestling reporting and writing and interviewing wrestlers thing while I was in college in Minnesota. And I've been following wrestling since I was age three. So um, I've been watching wrestling all my life, pretty much. Well, and for, for a long time, you were a featured columnist and a featured person for a Weekly Pro Wrestling in Japan, that magazine. The boys will be boys column, too. Yes, and uh, also yeah. you, uh, you've written a number of books on uh, the history uh, of uh, wrestling tw- as well. Over 20, yes. And uh, yes. so, and you pretty much know everybody. I think I've told this story before, but I remember when we first met, uh, and you came yeah. to pick up my wife and I in your, your SUV, you were like, oh, yeah, Hulk Hogan <laughs> was sitting in that chair last week. So, <laughs> you thought I, would, I lied, huh? No, I didn't think you lied at all. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. They're just, you know, yeah. what, are the, what are the odds I'm going to sit it in the It looks funny the way we met because... Um, you called Dave Meltzer before right. you came to Japan, and uh, who to look up to, and uh, he, he gave you my name to you, right? Yep, that's what I, and you couldn't have been nicer. <laughs> yeah, the, the, but the, Dave didn't tell me beforehand, you know, so it's like, it's like, well, if you were Dave Meltzer's friend, I thought, well, okay, I'm going to come and pick you up, and we'll have a cup of coffee or something, right? Yeah. That's how we all met. Well, I'm glad you were so nice to us, even though I don't know Dave all that well. So thank you for that. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. this is episode, what, 21 now? 21? That sounds right. 22? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Well, oh, wow. We forgot. All right, but it's, let's start talking because we've got a lot of, lot of things to cover this week. Lots of things to cover. Um, one of the things I guess we need to mention is, of course, what a lot of people have been talking about, uh, the death of legendary professional wrestler, the, the living legend, Bruno San Martino. Yeah, Bruno San Martino. Real big news here, too, as well. How so? Um, not, just all the, yeah, not just all the wrestling magazines and um, sports news, sporting news uh, website and other things, but the regular you know, news, too, as well, that... Uh, and also, I believe he was the first wrestler they used the term living legend, you know? And uh, before that, it was, what, Powerhouse? And other nickname he had, but the, the nickname living legend really fit, you know? Were you Bruno surprised by the, are you surprised by the amount of uh, mainstream coverage Bruno's death has gotten in Japan? Not so surprised because it's equal to, like, a, Say Giant Baba, you know that. Yeah. So and, when did uh, Bruno first first start coming to Japan? 
first trip was 1967 as a WWF, 3WF champion. 1967, came in as a champion. Only one week tour, but a real big deal and had a um, stadium show right away. Not just arena show, but the Osaka baseball stadium. Giant Baba against Bruno Sammartino. He came in as champion, but the funny thing was though, um, Bruno Sammartino did not defend his title on his first trip, but he challenged Giant Baba's international heavyweight title instead. And uh, he was a challenger, and Baba was a defending champion. You, know, you would think that uh, he'll be defending his WWF championship, right? But uh, that's the way the um, J old JWA, Japan Pro Wrestling, before Baba's Old Japan or Inoki's New Japan, there was old company, JWA, Nippon Pro Wrestling. And that's the way they were handling it. The same year, 1967, Gene Koniski, Gene Koniski, NWA champion, World Heavyweight Champion, he came in, but he did not defend his NWA World title. Instead, he challenged Giant Baba's international heavyweight title. And that was the top that, title in JWA, right? Yes, yes. He inherited from Ricky Dozen, yeah. And uh, I guess that's the way that the Japanese old promoter wanted to portray that the old big, huge American superstar champion flew in and, 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 and had a, one short tour. But instead of him defending American championship, they challenged Giant Baba's international heavyweight title. So that would place Giant Baba higher status or something. Yeah. But, instead, but the, uh, all in all, this Giant Baba, Bruno Sammartino's epic single match happened. What was the result? Of course, 60-minute Broadway. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's the only way. You know, how are you going to get out of it? So, uh, as far as the, uh, the those titles was 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 it just a, was it a babyface match? What kind of match was it? Who was was there a heel? I uh, it was, yeah. Of course, he was babyface match, but he was more like a champion. It was not technically champion against champion, but it, it was portrayed as you know world's most famous two wrestlers going against each other, champion against champion, superstar against champ, superstar. So no bad guy, good guy. It was more like a your dream match type of thing. Was Did Bruno, Bruno get over yeah. with the crowd automatically? Yeah, that too. And also, that was at the time, there was a comic book, you know, um, Jan Baba's comic book was going, and uh, Bruno San Martino was one of the you know, characters in, that, in that, uh, the, the comic book series. See, Giant Typhoon was uh, named a comic book, and it was about the story um, that uh, Giant Baba traveled to America and, you know, spent a year or two there, right? And uh, Baba and Bruno San Martino both were rookie and they were friends and was becoming star. That was the story. And uh, real life Bruno San Martino, you know, came and, and, and uh, he was that guy. Yes. He, he always carried this superstar aura about him you know you don't have to do the big interview or anything but he bruno san martino just so well, what was the word? 
uh, like really dignified look he had, right? Mm -hmm. Something about him, he just, you could tell this is very special somebody. So did uh, Baba know Bruno prior to coming to Japan? Yes, yes. They, 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 it was a true story. They actually traveled together, you know, in New York area. You know, not not even WWF yet, because it was, yeah, it was just becoming WW, uh, WWF then. Uh, New York territory, you know, Buddy Rogers, Killer Kowalski, you know. All those New York area guys. Actually, Jan Baba traveled and had toured there. And before Bruno became champion, he was part of the uh, New York roster too. And they were friends. The true story, yes. And now, how many times did, enough... did uh, Bruno come back to Japan? Oh, about 12 trips altogether. And, uh, yeah, they skip about 40 years now that when Giant Baba, you know, uh, all right, after Giant Baba died, um, we did, they, the old Japan did not really announce this as his, you know, memorial show, but they, uh, they titled it as Giant Baba's retirement card. You know, he's not there anymore, right? He, after he died, old Japan had retirement show. Then they placed Giant Baba's big ring boots in the middle of the ring and had a big ceremony. And legend came in. That was the year 2000. That Bruno San Martino, the destroyer, Dick Bayer, Gene Kniski, and all the, uh, those three big Giant Baba's rivals came in and they sat in the ring and you know, stood in the ring with Giant Baba's ring boots in the middle of the ring. Very symbolic. Yeah, so they were friends. And also that the very famous episode that all the Japanese wrestling fans know about, uh, know about. it was written yesterday again, too, that the, um, while they were traveling in America together, like back in 1963, um, Bruno San Martino was already driving Cadillac in a big Cadillac. Well, wrestlers used to drive all the big cars, right? Sedan, Cadillac. Um, Giant Baba thought it was a very good car and told Bruno that, the, hey, very nice car you're driving, right? And year after that, Bruno San Martino sent Cadillac to Japan as a gift, and Baba received it. Cadillac sending it to Japan. That wasn't cheap. No, then also it's a, not a small package. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. The shipping. There was no Amazon back then. That was not free shipping. No, no. Then I think they shipped it. You know, it's not on the plane, probably on the on the big board or something. Yeah, yeah. So, it, so he received big Cadillac from um, this Bruno San Martino. Now, could you could you it's could you very... buy Cadillacs in Japan back then? Were they not around? Oh, 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 I'm, I'm sure it was like a way, way too expensive. And also driving that big of a car in Japanese street then, <laughs> you know, but Giant Baba always had big car, you know, like a Lincoln Continental, Cadillac, all those things. But the Cadillac was sent to him from America. Very and, Italian thing to do, I think. And the Giant Baba was what, 6'10"? 
Yeah, yeah, or seven, they say. He's, you know, he's a tall guy. Mystical, but yeah, very tall guy, yeah. And uh, always, uh, yeah, wanted his opponent to be just as big. Gene Kniski, Bruno San Martino, Killer Kowalski, you know, Dan Leo Jonathan, Bobo Brazil. They all, yeah, his rival was all big guys. Yeah, but the Bruno was like a very special, very special. And he came back after initial tour. He came back again the following year, year 1968. He they had another stadium show, single match. Uh, again, Bruno San Martino challenging Jan Baba's international heavyweight title. Another 60-minute Broadway. You know, so Baba didn't win, but didn't lose. So it was like a very typical way to treat your special superstar. You know, but maybe if you know the newer wrestling fan or, uh, or a little bit of younger generations of fan would look at Baba and say, well, he doesn't even come off athletic, right? 1960s Baba was very athletic, moving very fast, doing drop kicks, all those things. And having single, you know, classical 60-minute match, you have to be good, don't you think? One would hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they they did that again with Gene Knisky, too. That's the same year. So th those things happened twice. NW World Heavyweight Champion coming in, have a single match, big title match against Giant Papa. WWF Champion Bruno San Martino came in and did a big single match against Giant Papa. A very special, very special title match. You know, of course, people like Dick the Bruiser, the Crusher, all those people, you know, come in, you know, all year long. But uh, um, to, to have a single match against Jan Papa then, but uh, Bruno San Martino arrival was always treated very, very special. Does that make sense? What about Baba yeah. and wanting to win the uh, WWWF title? And obviously he got two NWA title reigns, which he purchased. Do you know that he, if he ever tried to make a, a pitch or tried to make a sale for the WWWF? Oh, I have no idea. But he was 1960s, so it was before my time, obviously. Yeah. But uh, probably it would have been very hard because, see, when... Jan Baba later on, like in mid seventies, you know, he when he beat Jack Briscoe or Harley Race twice for NW titles, that he somewhat exposed the system of the business. You win the title, but somewhat somehow at the end of the trip of champions, you will be returning that title. And a serious wrestling fan will kind of scratch their head. Huh, huh. That's what's gonna happen, right? And uh Winning is winning the World Heavyweight Championship, you know, overseas, over, over here in Japan, um, is one thing. But, but the returning it is a lot more difficult, don't you think? Yeah, I, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, and then also see when um, it's a different example. In Antonio Inoki did beat Bob Backlund for WWF title in Japan, 1979. He didn't even return it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You mean he um, never gave the belt Nash? back? No, he never lost. They came, yeah, he never did the never honor. Never lost. Yeah. Never did the honor. It's more like uh, had somebody like Tiger G seen, you know, running and, uh, you know, then uh, the title match will end with like a real disappointing, you know, finish ending. 
and uh, Inoki was really upset that uh, I would forfeit the title kind of thing. So regarding Bruno, of course, as a lot of people have talked yes. about, um, the mm -hmm. WWF had a relationship mm -hmm. with New Japan Pro Wrestling and Antonio Inoki. In, starting in 1974, so while he was still champion, and Vince McMahon Sr. cut the deal with Antonio Inoki's New Japan. And then uh, WWF superstar start appearing Antonio Inoki's New Japan. But what was so interesting was that Bruno did not come to New Japan at all, not once. He, uh, to be more precise, the, um, um, to be more accurate, uh, Bruno San Martino and Gorilla Monsoon never made tour for New Japan's uh, Inoki side. Technically, you would think, you know, WWF. And New Japan, Inoki's New Japan cut a deal and the business had a business relationship now, right? That you would think the champion would appear and Inoki's New Japan start creating tours like Madison Square Garden series and all the New York superstars start coming in and all those things. Bruno was able to say no to Vince Senior to honor his friendship. That's very strong, don't you think? Well, considering, you know, Vince was the boss, and most wrestlers, yeah. the boss says, you know... Vince Senior, we should say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, that's that's uh, was it, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. On the friendship. And, and he was champion. That, that Bob Backlund yeah. went to Japan and, and, and worked for New Japan. Yes, number of, I mean, two or three tours a year. Yes. For like seven, eight-year period. In fact, he's in Japan now. Well, we can talk about that a little bit later. So, yeah. what are what other matches, or what other things are, is Bruno famous for in, in Japan? Did he have any legendary matches, or okay. anything important that people Those, the, the two legendary matches we just talked about, 1967 yeah. single title match, international heavyweight title match against Giant Power, 1967, 1968 again, and also he was one of the main... Uh, uh, superstar when Jan Baba opened the Old Japan Pro Wrestling in uh, September, October of 1973. He, Bruno San Martino, Terry Funk, Freddie Blassie, Dominic Denucci, um, a couple other people that, you know, when Jan Baba opened his new company, Bruno and Terry Funk, Freddie Blassie was the main, uh, main American. On the tour and also 10th anniversary tour 1982 i believe that uh, bruno already reti somewhat retired or pretty much stopped touring america um like around that time right Nine he did come back when david von uh david san martino started with wwf but uh, um by 1982 bruno was not exactly active right yeah he, was he he pretty much he he wrestled afterwards and he pretty much retired in 81 i think was his quote, yeah quote yeah official. but uh he had a handful 82, of yeah he did come back yeah right right after larry zabisco thing right yeah yeah he did come back in 1982 for giant baba's old japan's 10th anniversary show and made a tag team with giant baba baba san martino 
against Taiga Jit Singh and Umanosuke Ueda as a babyface. Yeah, friends, you know, double count out, of course, okay? But uh, to have that match, it was very important. And also during 90s, when they, um, when All Japan was doing uh, a retro um, talk show thing that uh, Jan Bob was inviting retired superstar from the past and had, you know, like a interview and talk show thing in the ring. You know, he brought in people like uh, Bruno San Martino, Dan Leo Jonathan, Gene Kniski, Killer Kowalski, uh, King Curtis, uh, who else? Um, quite a few, uh, of course, Dick Byer, the de destroyer. But uh, all those Baba's generation superstar from the past, uh, Baba invited them over for in just interview and, you know, meet and greet thing. And uh, Bruno always came in with suit and tie, and he always looked like superstar. Not an active wrestler, but he carried himself like the real superstar. Do you remember the first God. time you saw Bruno? Oh, as a kid? Yeah. Um, I clearly remember um, Jan Baba's opening series, 1973. Yeah, I remember that tour very well. He came in as a former champion, and he helped create the... Jan Baba and Bruno San Martino had the single match again for the first round of, of the, this tournament to create new PWF title. See, uh, when Jan Baba opened All Japan Pro Wrestling, they le he left the international heavyweight title in old company, and uh, he came in as no champion, nothing, right? So he opened All Japan and created uh, newly formed Pacific Wrestling Federations, you know, Lord James Blair's president thing, that the first round of the tournament was Jan Baba against Bruno. So he was going to have eight single match against people like um, Bruno San Martino, uh, Terry Funk, Welber Snyder, Boba Brazil, and Destroyer. It was like a seven or eight guys beat each and every one of them to become Pacific Wrestling Federation's first champion. It was an interesting thing, right? That PWF title is part of the Triple Crown today. Right. Yeah, yeah. So there's a solid history goes. Yes. So uh, who else did uh, did Bruno fight? Uh, did he work with in uh, when he came to Japan? Uh, mainly, always, always, JWA always had single match against Baba. Not much else. And a little bit, actually, I had a tag team um, encounter with Antonio Inoki as well, but not that famous. See, Inoki was still kind of a number two in that company, right? And uh, oh, the probably that the useless trivia <laughs> that the, like American fans would love, uh, especially from West Coast, on Bruno San Martino's second trip, 1968, July, actually had Ray Stevens with him. That was a time uh, Carl Palace, Ray Stevens, you know, United States heavyweight champion from San Francisco, right? And Bruno Very San much Martino considered to be the in. best North American worker, the best United States worker of the 60s. 
Yeah, and then also was the guy, main guy in the West Coast. Yeah. And Bruno San Martino had the tour from East Coast into San Francisco. And I believe he was right after San Martino and Ray Stevens had unification title match. And Ray Stevens seemingly won the title from you know, San Martino, controversial manner. But uh, there was a very famous Stevens-San Martino match, right, in San Francisco then. But right after that, uh, probably like American fans, information and news traveled very slowly then in 1968. After they had this very famous Stevens-San Martino match in San Francisco, they traveled together and went to Japan. As a matter of fact, useless trivia number one, Stevens and San Martino made tag team and and had a tag team in the tour. Uh, not as a tag team, uh, didn't really tour as a tag team, but the, there was a match or two that they actually, they tagged together that American fans don't know about. Now, I guess yeah. the, the last match Bruno had in Japan was in 1981 on his retirement tour. I think it was it was it a tag team match with Baba taking on Tiger yeah. Jeet Singh and Ueda. Umanosuke Ueda, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or was that eighty eighty two? That was eighty one then. Oh, eighty one, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, that was last tour as an active wrestler, but he did come back f five six times after that, just to do the meet and greet and the talk show segment. Now, did and did he, he ever did, do any yeah, of the like? Like for example, Dory Funk is sometimes with the commissioner of of all Japan, and they do things like that. Did he ever come back to be a figurehead commissioner, uh, his like Lord trip James? Was Blee's always or short and special. He he was introduced in in the ring, and shook hand in the ring, in, in with Baba, and got picture taken with with, with all the photographers did the you know, photos. But uh, that was about it. Not much as a commissioner or you know, chairman or anything like that. But uh, he was the kind of guy that when Baba wanted to, you know, wanted to bring him in, he would be there for you kind of thing. And he did come in after Baba died. That's big too. You know, he was the main guy for the Baba's retirement show. Baba's not there anymore. Only his big ring boots, uh, resting boots in the ring. But uh, he was there for Baba. And always... Always, another thing is though, he was always wearing suit and tie, always, in public. Yeah, never casual wear, you know, always dark suit and tie. Tie though, you know. And what? also he, um, yeah. Go ahead. He was actually like, always like a very, like a, almost, almost mysterious because he's actually lot shorter than you would think, huh? So you imagine Bruno San Martino would be a real big, tall guy? He wasn't. He just looks like a special person without being that tall. Something about him, very special. Kind of cliche, but if you know what I mean. Where would you rank him as far as uh, American wrestlers Legend? in Japan? Uh, it's really hard because, you know, if you have to compare with people like, you know, the Funks, the Stan Hansen, or, you know, Brody, or 
male maskers. So some, those are the people who had hundreds of tours, you know, hundreds. Probably like, you know, Stan Hansen probably had 200 tours, right? It's like practically living here. You know, he had 10 tours a year, something like that. Yeah. But uh, uh, for San Martino, the course of 40 years, he he only had 10 you know, ten tours. Or well, only, that's a lot of tours. But the course of 40 years or so, he only made very occasional tour. And, you know, if Japanese company have tours, like a three-week tour or four-week tour, five-week tour, he never could work for schedule he would come in for the first one week of the tour or the last one week of the tour and only had like four matches at a time you know what i'm saying yeah so it's hard to compare his legacy in japan with legacy of abdul the butcher the you know the funks the brody hansen or the former NWA champions, race, other you know, champions. So that would make him also special too because he was so busy and big name that uh, he couldn't come here and have five-week tour, you know. That guy's so special that he would come in and just have a few matches and have to go again. Hey, you're a little bit muffled, Fumi. Be careful. Uh, make sure you're not uh, covering up your yes, uh, mouthpiece. Yes, yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, a yeah so he could only come in for just one week, max. Can you hear me now? Uh, no, that's worse. Yeah? No, I'm not sure. It sounds like you're muffled, like something's covering the uh, mouthpiece. How about now? There we go. Now we got you. Okay. Yeah, so he could only come in for like a one week and have, you know, four matches at a time. That's about it. And uh, that would make him also special too, huh? So what do you think is, uh, so you, you said he got a lot of coverage and people were talking about him on the news in Japan. What kind of things did they remember? Um, the famous Cadillac stories, you know, um, yeah, famous. And also today for today's fan, not just today's fan, but probably like uh, fans that are in 40s even. San Martino is somebody you read. Is somebody that you read about, you know, not not really watching on videos, you know. So if you want to watch, you know, if you want to look for, say, Bruiser Brody's footage, you go into YouTube and watch as many as you want. But uh, Bruno San Martino is somebody you have to pay attention and study, you know, who he was and what his accomplishment was, and uh, yeah, so it was more. I would say intellectual part, you know, like a superstar, you know, type. Um, and also like a not close. It's like a pretty much historical figure and kind of feel far away, you know. Was uh, there ever any problem with uh, <clears throat> Inoki with the fact that Bruno only wanted to work for and with Baba? Was there ever any uh, heat? Did Baba ever or did uh, Noki ever protest or complain or anything uh, public? Not publicly, because that would make him look bad too, don't you think? Cause Just ask him. Somebody's yeah, because somebody's clearing no to Vince Senior, and uh, Inoki or New Japan couldn't flex their muscle to bring him in. Or what's the point of bringing Bruno in who is not willing? And also, Inoki against Bruno single match wasn't really dream match. People didn't really talk about it. You know, 
that the, it was always Baba and Bruno are like friendship story, a classic title match from late 60s into 70s. And that would only make Inoki look like he would, you know, he stole some talent from Baba's side, you know. And uh, Baba flicked some muscle on that. And also, right after New Japan, Inoki New Japan and Vince McMahon Sr. announced their affiliate, you know, like they becoming business partner. Jan Baba flew himself, you know, you know, flew himself uh, to Madison Square Garden, and he, out of blue, he worked 1974 summer Madison Square Garden single match against Gorilla Monsoon, and he beat him. So politically, that Jan Baba showed what he could do if he wanted to. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think I think that I think that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But uh, affiliate, Giant Baba already had NWA affiliate, all the NWA territory, and also AWA he was working with. So it's like, who needs New York, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But it uh, didn't happen. So since our last show, we have both seen yeah. the Andre the Giant documentary that was on HBO. Yeah, yes, yes. I thought it was all Very right. Very interesting. I thought, it, I thought it was really oh, well done. A very good movie. Yeah, and also the footage from France. Yeah, and uh, interviewing his, you know, Andre the brother, uh, sister-in-law, an old house in countryside in France, and a little chair, a big chair, I should say, <laughs> that Andre would sit in the kitchen. Yeah, very interesting. All the footage, and uh, quote, you know, the the comments from people like Vince himself, Hulk Hogan, Flair, not that much, but um, Billy Crystal. Yeah, Jerry Lawler. Yeah, yeah, it was very interesting. Very interesting. Andre obviously isn't there, but uh, his pain, you know, as a, you know, as being the way he is, and uh, yeah, um, just uh, his li- as a life story, as a documentary, it was very, very good. I think. Well, as a, as a information and others, you know, the the things they covered. Most wrestling fans already knew all those things. But for HBO audience, yes, it was very in-depth and things people should know and uh, very honest piece. And also they covered the ground where, you know, bef- um, actually Hulk Hogan under the giant single match already happened a number of times before WrestleMania 3, right? And... Uh, WrestleMania 3 and all the storyline pretended that it never happened, had happened, and uh, it was a first time meeting or something. But this documentary did cover the fact that before WrestleMania 3, yes, Hulk Hogan and Andre Giant already had a match against each other in different places. That was honest, yeah? Yeah, I think if you're if you're a casual fan, you're going to love the documentary. If you're a longer yeah. time fan like uh, Fumi or myself, uh, you know, chances are there really isn't much you didn't know. I thought for me the interesting parts were that he's that you know he left his estate to his his daughter. Um, last I yeah. knew, yes. last I knew they yes. were kind of separated and it wasn't the best relationship. Mm-hmm. So I was glad that there was yes. there was some they made some amends before he passed. So that was mm-hmm. that was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but really nothing, not 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 nothing. Nothing groundbreaking, but that doesn't mean that it's bad. 
No, 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 because wrestling fans know a lot, you know? Yeah. But uh, this HBO piece, you know, documentary was aimed for general audience. The people, I really think that the general audience should learn more about Under the Giant, and this movie did it, you know? Yeah. Did Andre like going to Japan? Because, I mean, everything was kind of uh, smaller as Small. far as uh, infrastructure and hotel <laughs> well, rooms. I would say I would say he must have liked it because, you know, in peak years, he was having, um, he was touring at least 15 weeks. Some years he worked here 20 weeks out of the year. See, okay, 15 weeks means like four months, for almost five months out of the year, you know? Uh, so that's a lot of time to spend. See, how, before Hulk Hogan was, you know, WWE, yeah, yeah, he was WWF, but uh, before Vince McMahon's era, you know, 1984 era, um, 1981, 82, 83, Hulk Hogan was also working 15 to 20 weeks out of a year in Japan. Have, you know, had probably like a six, seven trips back and forth, you know, all year. So they spent a lot of time here and they must have liked it, you know. And Andre himself, he had a lot of local friends here, you know. And also, he was always in Tokyo. He was always staying at the Kiyo Plaza Hotel, very same hotel all the time. So hotel staff knew him, you know. So they, he, he always had special treatment for him, you know. Rooms, bathroom, you know, other things, yeah. Can you imagine Andre sitting in a Japanese bathroom? Well, wasn't that the? I know Bobby Heenan wrote about it, and it's one of those tall tales that he used to have to use tall the tales. bathtub. Well, no pun intended. That's not true, though. That he didn't go to the bathroom yeah, in the bathtubs. The, I don't think so. Okay, that's the rumor. Yeah, that, that is a fiction. Okay. But I heard the heard a story that the they there was a couple rooms they had to fix only to cater. And, and when Andre come in and stay, okay, this is the room Andre should stay in. They did fix bathroom for him, for his size. What's well, Hey, kind of a kind of a connection, I guess, because he was the giant machine. But uh, I guess uh, super strong machine is going to be retiring. Yes, uh, it's June, so it's another couple months. Yeah, yeah, right. Another somewhat a superstar from eighties, and also. For Japanese mask wrestler, there aren't there are quite a few, but uh, he's one of the very successful one. And his debut was very interesting because 1984 debut of Super Strong Machine was right after first, you know, very first UWF group. You know, Maeda and Takada all left, like 15 guys left, and Ricky Choshu's group left. So they New Japan lost about 35 to 40 wrestlers. And there was a skeleton, very skeleton, you know, roster. And then super, super strong machine was put it in the main event spot right away, and had a single match against Antonio Inoki the first week in. So it was a very interesting debut he had, you know. Yeah. Now, I think in, some people are familiar Calgary. with with the WWF when Andre the Giant was under a mask with uh, Mass Superstar and uh, yeah, Blackjack yeah. Morgan as the machine. Did he ever wrestle as And also the... Mass Superstar did that. Yes. Too. Did he ever yeah. wrestle as the giant machine in Japan? One that... tour, yes. One yeah, tour? one tour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously it's Andre. Yeah. <laughs> you know, under the mask, yes. And the full costume, yes. Giant machine. And actually the reason WWF at the time, WWE, had giant machine idea was 
after Andre worked at Zen Machine in Japan. It was the idea that, uh, you know, that it kind of, it's kind of very much animation kind of storyline, but how many strong machines are there was a story. See, there were the four guys wearing the same costume. Not this super strong machine, Junji Hirata. He was the main guy, of course, but the three other wrestlers were wearing the same costume. And the following tour, um, manager Wakamatsu said, I can bring in a lot more, a many strong machine into this company. And Andre was one of them. It's obviously Andre the Giant, so big, but uh, with un super strong machine costume, he worked the entire tour. It was very interesting. I know it wasn't a particularly successful gimmick, but I always thought that the, 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 the machine kind of funny, was kind of fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it shouldn't last that long, but uh, no. something that he has done and uh, something you will be talking about, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, during the American tour, people like Crusher, you know, Lesowski, other people wore that same costume. Hulk Hogan even had the strong machine mask, you know, match or two during that time. So it was some fun gimmick, right? Yeah, I think it, I always enjoyed like the Midnight Rider or Mr. America. Yeah, or yeah, right, right. I always, I right. always enjoy those storylines, but historically they never draw that well. Yeah, and it shouldn't last that long. No, they know? shouldn't. Yeah, three to five months, right? Yeah, it's okay. It's something to talk about, you know, because it's gimmick and storyline and funny thing. Yeah, you're not supposed to take it too seriously. No. <laughs> yeah, so Bruno was like, uh, you know, it's so I, I would say, yeah, he he would be ranked one of the top legends still, you know, but the whole entity and whole personality and he himself, like living legend, but it's different from. The legacy of Stan Hansen, Bruiser Brody, or, or you know, those people who spent a lot of time in ring, in Japanese ring, it's, it should be treated differently. Now, as I mentioned before, yeah, you know, I grew up on Portland wrestling, watching Don Owen here in the Pacific Northwest, yeah, yeah, yeah. and coming yeah. up in a couple of weeks at the Cauliflower Alley Club at the end of April, early May. They do a seminars in Las Vegas, and one of yeah, the seminars yeah. this year is going to be on Portland wrestling and Northwest wrestling, and I'm going to be hosting that. Sure. And, a number of, uh, and so I've been watching oh, some typical, typical regional, you know, but yeah. popular wrestling. But uh, one of the things that I'd forgotten about as it as it got later toward the uh, toward the end of Don uh -huh. Owen promoting wrestling is Tatsumi Fujinami. Had Fujinami as an IWGP champion. Yeah. Yeah. Now, at the time, he was, see, Inoki was going to politics and national diet and all that, and not retiring, but not being in the ring anymore, and Fujinami becoming the main star of New Japan, and he was IWGP champion at the time, and there was an idea that he would travel around the world to defend his IWGP, see, IWGP title always treated like a biggest heavyweight world championship, I mean, out of Japan, right? And with that belt, he traveled to Memphis, Tennessee, and he had unification title, double title match against unified world heavyweight champion Jerry Lawler and traveled to Dallas and had a unification double world title match against world-class world, was that WCWA or, well, anyhow, 
um, Tatsumi Fujinami against Kerry Von Erich, and he stopped in Oregon and had a, a single title match, double title match against was that Grappler? Did you I say? Think it was, yeah, it was Lim Denton, the Grappler, who was booking uh, yeah, at the time. Uh, at the time, yeah, he always say, "Was that a Billy Jack or was that Rip Oliver or was that yeah. wasn't Piper? Uh, was a Grappler then? Yeah, but local big name, right? Yeah. Not a local, but uh, Pacific Northwest is a clearly one of the typical regional, you know, territory, typical territory. You know, I cherish that, you know. And, now, th- you know, and the, the wrestling you grew up watching. Yeah, and did, well, but I, I was, it was just interesting because, you know, a lot of people talk about a Japanese star who is not yet established. They they train, they work the undercard, they're a young boy. Yeah, that too. And then they ship them a lot off of time somewhere still. else to go away and then come back at a higher level. But obviously yeah, Fujinami yeah. was already at a at a high level. Fujinami did, you know, he did that too uh, in like in 76, 77, 78. He traveled, you know, he spent a whole year in Mexico and spent one year in North Carolina, Tampa, then went to 1978, January, went to Madison Square Garden and became WWF junior heavyweight champion, beating Estrada. So he had that tour too. But when he came back as IWGP champion, he was he had a different theme. He was traveling world champion. So he chose Oregon to be one of the places to you know stop. Interesting. Yeah, no, it was it was I remember everything was filmed. Yeah. Yeah. Um it was just it was just interesting that you know, did did that get much coverage in, in Japan? Was that part of a story? Of course, line? of course. Yeah, of course. So that was his uh, world tour as a world champion, you know, going to Oregon. He, he needed to go, you know, different territories. Not much territories then. Yeah. But, uh, Portland was one of the places. Dallas, you would go. Memphis, Tennessee, you would stop. So he did stop and had a world tour as a world champion. And everything he did was filmed by Japanese television. TV Asahi, yeah. So it was a different storyline. Not young guys spending time in certain territory to become somebody, you know. He was champion during the world tour. And speaking of Fujinami, he and Backland, are they wrestling this weekend? He, uh, tonight, actually. So I'm going, going okay. there in a couple hours, yeah. And are you going to uh, go? Corican Hall. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going. Yeah. He's having six uh, six-man tag team. Fujinami, Bob Backland, Ricky Choshu as a trio. Legend, huh? Now, we've talked about Backlund and how because he toured so much, he's really very well known in Japan. Yeah, yeah. So it was like um, if this wrestling fan in Japan started following wrestling um, in the 80s, Bob Backlund is your champion. You know, we talked about San Martino so much today, but he, well, of course, different era you know, late 60s into 70s. And last tour he had act, as an active wrestler was 1981. So obviously he was a generation older than Bob Backlund. But Bob Backlund was the first WWF champion who had very frequent, you know, tour to Japan. And worked regularly with New Japan. And, uh, you know, every December you have annual tag team tournament, right? One year... Inoki and Bob Backlund was a team, tag team. And he won the tag team championship beating Stan Hansen and Hulk Hogan. It was interesting. 
Yeah. So Bob Beckham works as babyface here. You know, champion is not heel. Not exactly. Not all Americans are heel. See, champs. We have champion type guy. You have to work as babyface. Bob, 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 young Bob Beckham couldn't do heel. Yeah. But, uh, one uh, last thing, I guess. Bob Eklund, yeah. Well, what about Bob Eklund? Yeah, had a lot of dream match here, too. You know, Bob Eklund against Dusty Rose wouldn't happen in America, right? Two baby faces. But uh, Bob Eklund did defend his title in Japan against Dusty Rose. And didn't Dusty and Hulk fight in Japan, too? Single match. There was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that didn't happen in America either. Of course, some kind of DQ finished, though, but the uh, match took place. Yeah, At the time, it's kind of a waste that the, the people didn't really realize that the, it was a dream match, you know? Yeah, took it casually. But yeah, Bob Backlund, how, how old is he, 66 now? Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. He um, is here now. I'm going there tonight. Is he going to wrestle any other shows uh, while he's there, or is this just a one-time, uh, one Two shot? shows, tonight and tomorrow night. Tonight in Korakuen, Tokyo, and tomorrow in Osaka. That's it. But they will have talk show and meet and greet and the photo, you know, get the picture taken kind of thing. The, the, you, they'll have a party, but uh, only two matches. Just like, just like Fujinami did with Vader last year this time. Exact same, yeah. All right, man. Well, is there anything else we should cover? I guess the only other thing I can think of is that, uh, is it Bone Soldier's coming back? <laughs> yeah, but we don't know who he is in, in, inside this time, no. So you think... They may, have another, they may have another person, you know, with the same gimmick. So I don't know maybe yet. it could be like a surprise, like maybe Chris Jericho could be under the mask or something? No, like that. no, no, not that. No, no. If Chris Jericho makes trip, it will leak. You know, we will know about it, you know? Uh, then also, no point of him um, putting Chris Jericho under the hood. That uh, you know, it, if Chris Jericho does come, they should make a big, big, big deal out of it. So not gonna do that. Not gonna do the mask gimmick. I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so. I don't think this time. It just seems odd that they're you know the kind of the lowest guy on the totem pole there in New Japan gets a return video and all of that. So you would think it's not the same person as last time. Yeah. Who knows? Oh, some some people even think it's uh, Taichi Ishimori. Oh, I can see that. You know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Some people think, oh, that's gonna be Ishimori under the mask. So that's another option or thing. I don't know who this guy, but not the original one. But I kind of don't think it's gonna be Jericho. So speaking of Jericho, he is told people obviously he's going to be participating in the uh, greatest in Saudi Royal Rumble in Saudi Arabia and he's told people and, and we've talked yeah, about this before but do you have any any new information on Jericho whether or not he's coming back to New Japan or if it's legitimately a falling out between the two sides I'm pretty sure that the uh, business is still going if they want people to think they had falling out they didn't <laughs> how's that works you know? for me yeah because they cherish this though because you know the book of Gedo take this deal with Chris Jericho very very seriously and also 
Chris Jericho takes Japanese market and the, the stint was new, just New Japan um, thing very seriously and not going to sell it cheap. And also don't make it happen too often, you know, once or twice a year. So they, you know, if they do this, they want to make it secret, but they want to make a lot of hint at the same time. Then there's going to be buzz and people will be talking about it, you know, um, no falling out, I don't think. But not right away. That good enough? It works for me. <laughs> yeah, so I, the, the Bone Soldier thing is very interesting, you know. But it would probably tell us a story afterward that uh, this is how New Japan does the storyline. You know, um, what's a Jay White's gimmick now? Switchblade? Uh, yeah, they were showing the video and vignette, you know, so many times and so often you know made such a big deal out of you know this jay white's return so uh there might be a japanese person under the mask though and some people really think it's ishimori but i i not confirmed on that well we'll figure that uh that whole thing out well um next week we'll maybe we'll cover some of the uh the champion carnival that's still going on mm, mm-hmm mm-hmm and also, I'll be at the back, Fujinami background show tonight. Yeah. So I can tell you how things were and how people reacted. And I'm hoping that I'll be able to speak to background backstage tonight. And I hope that uh, hope that it sells out. I'll be curious to see what kind of kind of numbers it draws to Korokan tonight. Korokan? Yeah. Well, I'm sure they can pack Korokan still. Yeah. It's a legend. And uh, all the crowd. A lot of I spoke with a lot of people and they said, oh, "I'm going, I'm going." So, then, like, those older people who doesn't come to shows anymore, yeah. they go, "Oh, I'll be, at, I'll be there, I'll be there." So, they want to watch it. They want to see Backlund in the ring. You know, they, this might be the last tour he will have, right? So, uh, oh, it may not be, but uh, when the legend comes in, you will draw an older crowd who already stopped coming to the shows. You know, that's like a old fans reunion as well any you chance know, this could be an angle to set up a match between Anoki and backland Anoki, Fujinami. oh no this is more friendly thing i would say it's just like vader's return last year sure in fact it was last year this time you know same april dates you know and then i was looking through my facebook thing and uh, it popped up one year ago you were doing this. Wow, one year ago yesterday, I was handling the interview thing with Fujinami and Vader and sitting in a you know, certain studio and then doing the interview and then videotaped whole thing. I was there as an interpreter, and that was one year ago. So they, I'm sure the Fujinami and background would be very friendly thing. Yeah, yeah. you feel good now, show. Yeah, not like run, run in a quick angle and uh, turn against each other and to set up a single match and like that. That's very American idea. But uh, to sure. do that in one two days, I kind of don't think so. Fair enough. Yeah, it's very friendly atmosphere. All right, Fumi. Legends. Where, uh, yes. where can people get in touch with you on social media? Yes, um, Fumi uh, on Twitter, Fumihiko Dayo. F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O. And also you can find me on Facebook, Fumi Saito. And, and I'm Jim If Ballard. anybody wants to know about, yeah, if anybody wants to know any historical that uh, 
events or the things you always wanted to know about Japanese wrestling or Japanese wrestler or history, um, send me a re- request or a question. You and I will answer this on this show. Yeah, we got some time right now, so be sure to do that. Do hashtag AskFumi, and we can uh, answer your questions on any part of wrestling, because that's what we're here to talk about. Uh, you yeah, can follow yeah. me on Twitter, at Jim Valley, or on Facebook, at uh, Jim Valley as well. And uh, hopefully you'll be nice enough to uh, share the podcast and let people know the numbers have been growing, and we appreciate that because of you. Great. But any help you can give us, we certainly appreciate it. Yeah, all well, friendly, friendly show. Exactly. <laughs> and I like questions and answers and all those things. I want to know more things too. You know what people want to know. You know what they're well, interested uh, in. So until next time, Fumi. Yes. So long from Tokyo. Thank you. <laughs>